0: The 16 Days of Activism is an annual international campaign that kicks off on the 25th of November, the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, and runs until the 10th of December, Human Rights Day. It is a campaign by individuals and organizations around the world to call for the prevention and elimination of violence against women and girls.
1: And we are delighted to welcome into studio Charlene Narsou. Charlene is an activist for social change, She heads up Kulisa's monitoring and evaluation process and is passionate about diversion and diversion programs. Charlene works tirelessly to ensure that with every community intervention, change happens and beneficiaries can thrive. Welcome, Charlene.
2: Thank you, Luke.
1: Charlene, this 16 days of activism you and I have been involved with sort of for many decades. What is your general impression about the 16 days programs that have been run historically?
2: So, the situation continues, nothing changes. Why does nothing change? Um, are we focusing just on the victim? Um, are we not um, excluding the perpetrator? And I'm not saying that it's just men that are the perpetrator. It could be um, uh, uh, turned the other way around. The challenge is, you know, when men are subject to um, uh, violence against them, they do not report it. Mm. So that's the one problem. However, having said that is um, my clear point of view is that we've got to work with both the victim and the perpetrator. And we're just too afraid to do that. You know, where's the restorative justice element Mm. Um, why is there no focus on restorative justice? Uh, Kulisa will be um, running a restorative justice webinar okay. um, later in the month. Um, the invitations will be sent out shortly. However, we had a discussion in terms of planning the process, and there was a lot of work done uh, about 10 years ago, but nothing has been Um, concrete in Mm. terms of restorative justice why are there so many men being incarcerated Mm. um, whether it's men or or women incarceration is the first point of order Mm. you know we we're afraid to enter into conversations to have that talk and I just think that Conversations is important. It doesn't matter whether it is um, the perpetrator and the victim and, uh, you know, there's a a finger being pointed. We just need to have conversations and communication has become, become such a problem.
1: Absolutely. So you raised two interesting points that I want to sort of separate out, which is really the people who are committing the social contact crimes and the people who are the victims of those crimes. So if we start with the messaging around victims, well, the two things that I just want your thoughts on is we, we almost go and we do these kind of rote glib kind of programs that have been done for decades, as you said, very little has changed in those decades. And we'll say, for example, to children, if someone tries to touch you on your private parts or your costume parts, you must say no. But we, in nowhere in the world do we give children a script for being able to say no to adults. And we know that it's mostly adults who abuse children, and we know it's mostly adults who have access to children. So, family, parents, coaches, teachers, priests, etc. So, there's a level at which the saying no is not modeled in any other way. And linked to that is the gender, sort of the gender split, where we're doing all these girl programs. And it's almost like there, there's a level at which we're reinforcing the fact that it's something about girls' behavior that causes men to behave this way because if we run girl programs and girls become empowered and change their behavior suddenly, you know, m- there will be less gender-based violence and that's a bit disrespectful to men because it's assuming they can't change which then will bring me to the last point which is restoration but let's start with the first two around the programs to victims
2: So, you're absolutely correct you know. The focus has been around women and girls. How do we empower, or, or not empower boys, but teach them about ways of being? Um, where, does, where, where does that, the, the lack of guidance come from? Mm. Um, you know, boys need men to guide them so they are and and this is no disrespect to women and women that are raising their children they do an amazing job but you know a woman cannot do what a man needs to do for a boy child especially and even with a girl child you know my mom can show me all the love um, that she has but I still need my dad. I still need my dad to affirm that I'm amazing, I'm going to be okay, I'm going to do great, or I haven't done great, or just to know that he's there for me. Now think about all the girls out there and the little boys. Um, or not just little boys, the boys. Um, it is so important for that father to be able to say, answer certain questions for their children. How am I doing? Am I doing okay? Am I going to be great? What are your what What's your vision for me? Or, or where do you think I will be in life someday? Because if a father believes that you know you're going to amount to nothing, you literally will. And our engagement with people out in the world comes from our relationships with our mothers, not our engagement. The way we see and the way we experience people out in the world, it's your first relationship, whether it's your mother or your father. And it's so important that those relationships are, uh, are formed in a very um, strong, uh, harmonious, loving, caring way. And yes, the man teaches the boy to be rough, to be a man, to, and the mother is there to um, give a bit of the soft side but you still need you need that affirmation from parents. And Kulisa has been, for the past couple of months, um, we've been looking at what elements to include in a par- parenting program. And a lot of our facilitators are young. And what I say to them is, so you go into a community, let's take Cape Town for instance, um, you go into a farm community, there's a lot of older parents. And this young facilitator, speaks to these older folk about parenting you know what do they get back fortunately they're able to start a conversation instead of walking in and say saying i'm i'm gonna run a parenting program and teach you about parenting you Mm -hmm. can't do that Mm -hmm. but what how how do we get the information to parents you know they're impacted by so many different um scenarios COVID for one Mm -hmm. but you know If a man loses his job, how does he take care of his family? Lots of things happen in in those situations, whether it is divorce, parents separating, and men then being kind of the outcast, or if he does not stay in contact with his children, constantly what happens? He becomes the absent father. How do we start the conversation where we look at the female conspiracy and the male fallacy?
1: If you could just expand on that, because that's really an important concept. Okay? So the idea of conspiracies and fallacies is that there certain things we just assume that aren't necessarily true about gender, gender relations, gender-based violence, parenting, the role of fathers mothers. So just expand on that concept, because I think it is an important one for our listeners to understand.
2: I think for start is um, many to kind of acknowledge that women are not the enemy and women need to include men in the conversations or have these conversations with men. The funny thing is I looked at a post the other day on Facebook and um, the discussion was around men being present in their children's lives and then the maintenance issue kind of becomes part of that conversation. And you cannot exclude your child from his father's life if he's lost his job and is not able to pay. Um, having said that, is I just think that, you know, when men are labeled a certain way, it kind of drives them away. And I'm not making an excuse for them. But, you know, if a man loses his job and is not able to pay maintenance, should, he should not be excluded from seeing his child just because of the maintenance Mm -hmm. issue. Divorce should not bring about these conflicting relationships. Mm -hmm. There should still be harmony for the sake of the child. It is so important that that happens. And that is something that we really need to drive hard and fast with men and women because if we're not working with men and women, we're doing nothing for children. Mm-hmm. If you're not working with men, you're doing nothing for women. Um, Dr. Brene Brown uh, mentions it in one of her talks where she was doing a sign off for her very first one of her very first books, and there was a family that came, you know to purchase a book, got it signed off. And as this father with the mother and two daughters, were walking off. He said to them, go along, um, I'll see you now. Um, He wanted to have a conversation with her and he said, you speak a lot about women. What about men? And she said, what about men? He said, well, if you are just working with women, you're doing, if you're not working with men, you're doing nothing for women. You know, you've got to be engaging with both parties. There needs to be a harmonious conversation between both parties, and I'm not saying that everything's going to be, um, you know, milk and honey. Sure. However, there needs to be brave conversations, um, you know. Uh, so there needs to be these brave conversations happening between men and women. We've, each individual has grown up with a certain picture, And that picture, like I say, determines your relationship with everyone out. Um, So, you know, if I had a father that worked very hard and even though I really saw him, he took took care of our basic needs and I get married to a man that um, works differently, that might be an issue for me. And, you know, that happens with people where your You have a picture, your vision of love is
0: a square, but you marry a circle Mm. and that starts the conflict. That's so important, Charlene, and and picking up on that, you know, we we often role model or, or model our own parenting behavior based on the way our parents raised us. What if we have been raised in a completely dysfunctional home? So a home where... A father beats the mother, beats the children. How do we start to break those cycles? And I know there's no easy answer to this. I know that only too well. But where do we start? Sure. What a question. I know. There's no easy (laughs) a philosophy question. But but where is the starting? Because there's got to be a starting point. There's certainly there's no recipe just like there's no recipe for parenthood Mm -hmm. i think one of the nicest things i heard was um there's no such thing as a perfect parent Mm -hmm. but there are a million ways to be a good one and none of us parent the same and i think parenting is 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 about learning so we learn every single day as a parent and we parent children even if they're the same sex children in our same home we parent them very differently because of their personality types Mm -hmm. so the I remember when, when I was pregnant, you bought all these books on babies and you know, you must do this and you must do that and you must do the next thing. But there's a lot that that's not written in the books. So from a perspective of where you come from a home where there's a lot of abuse, how do we, what is the first step in in looking to change that? Is it conversation?
2: Um, I think it's conversation, but it's also creating an awareness amongst people, you know, I don't think there's enough advocacy with regards to ways or or what can be done. Having conversations with men, having conversations with women, highlighting challenges. So I think, you know, when what I've experienced in the past couple of months in July, I sat in one of our trainings, which is called Silence for Violence, and it speaks about your violence side. And I initially, when our programs were being adapted, the life skills program, I said to them, please remove violence and crime from the literature. And I said, we are taking this program to school children. We, we shouldn't be talking about violence and crime. They haven't committed any offense. So we need to teach them a different way. I did not ask that of the Silence the Violence program because it's behavioral change. But what I found is, you know, when we sit in a dialogue circle, it doesn't matter what work you've done on your life, if you sit in a safe space and allow for conversation to take place and dialogue to take place, it helps people speak about what they're feeling. People are afraid to talk about Mm -hmm. what they're feeling. You know, men especially um, don't want to talk about that emotional, what they're feeling emotionally. And especially in our country and the way men are seen, um, you've got to be, you know, man up.
0: You need to be a man's men man. Don't men cry. don't cry.
2: Boys don't cry. Yeah. And it's so important for, for those boys to be hugged, to be told that they loved, to to be told that they're amazing and they'll grow up with a different way of being. So having said that, I think it's important when, you know, when we talk about restorative justice, it's having those conversations, it's having those dialogue circles where you create the safe space for people to talk, for people to talk about their feelings, for people to talk about what they're going through in one of our areas the social worker said to me one or two of the youth did not complete the program and so he's part of our intern group and one day when I saw him I just said how are you, how was the program and and so I said and so he just said to me it was difficult and I knew because I sat in that program and I thought that after a lot of the work that I'd done, nothing would kind of get to me. It's not about getting to me. It's just feeling another layer. Mm. And you can do all the work in your life, but I think I'll be 70 and I'll still, <laughs> you know, there'll still be a layer that needs to be built. And that's okay. And people need to know and understand that. Um, I remember years ago when I worked in corporate and one of the ladies just said to me, oh, I don't like these programs. They break you down and then just leave you there. And I'm not, I. I she wouldn't um, speak further, but I just think it is so important to, you know, find ways of helping people understand that, you know, when... It's okay to be vulnerable, one. Two is that we've got to create spaces for ourselves. You know, we're caught up in the rat race and we're just busy doing all the time. And that kind of is attached to our value. But we don't give ourselves that quiet time to contemplate and just reflect what is happening in our lives right now. Where are we? Because all of the stuff that has happened in your life, before is going to trigger certain things somewhere along the line and so I think the conversations they they really need to start happening and who starts that conversation
1: (laughs) so moving forward to the 16 days of activism as we launch it the one thing that I I want to try and land is you talk about restorative justice and I think what people need to understand is South Africa has a long history of restorative justice, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission being the biggest of them and not a perfect process but certainly a process that can assist healing. Mm. I almost have a sense that there almost needs to be this restorative TRC for the genders. So there's almost a need for the genders to restore themselves to one another. You know, with all this toxic masculinity and fragility and all the other men's rights movements and all these terrible backlashes we've had. But the thought has occurred to me that we as the advocacy organizations, ironically I'm wearing the shirt today because I'm going to a function later, is that we may have... Been party to the divide and that we need to do a lot of self-reflection and introspection about what we do and the messages Mm -hmm. we send so if we take a very well I mean a very well documented um, advocacy program like the me too movement extremely important messaging unbelievably important the power behind abuse is the secret we need to break the secret But we forget, to be a little bit philosophical, we forget the Hegelian dialectic, that when you say that, there's an opposite pole to that. And the swing was the hashtag men or trash movement. Now, what that that did was it said that all men are that way then we got to the um, hashtag not in my name movement and then we got to the point where we said if you didn't stand up you are not for us you are against us you know so there, there, there's a lot of negative messaging for men in particular don't do this don't do that you are trash and there's not bringing men into the conversation to say what it means to be a man that is just a good human, frankly, you know, that it's not as complex as what we, we advocacy organizations make it out to be. And I think my final point is really around the fact that the idea that if women or children get some level of in, empowerment, men lose something, where we need to be more framing it that we gain as men mm-hmm. when we have deeper, richer, more intimate relationships.
2: I hear you, Luke. I really believe that there needs to be um, conversations had with men. Also, m- uh, quite a number of years ago when I was in the Northwest, I was fortunate for one of the organizations to invite me to one of their discussions with men. And they create the safe space for men to have conversations. But that's few and far between. Mm. Okay. But why are we afraid to have those conversations? And the unfortunate thing is that within our organizations, there's a lot of women employed. So, you know, women cannot start that conversation with men and the, the men that are in the organization are young. So we need to then invite men to run those dialogue circles and have them a lot more often. have those discussions with men. Ask them what more they feel. And more accessible, because I don't think they're accessible Absolutely. enough. Absolutely. So I think that needs to be a movement that we just Uh got to start, you know. Um, There's so much of focus on the woman and the girl child, which um, I'm really not discounting what they experience and and what happens out in the world. But I, I would really like to see us starting these conversations with men and inviting Men to kind of lead the Who will be able to lead those conversations But not where you sit In a group and start trashing women mm. Like I feel That we shouldn't be trashing men mm. We shouldn't be trashing women It's create a harmonious mm. Space where we understand what each Individual is Experiencing mm. You know, parenthood does not come with a manual You know, a woman And and I love what you said in, in, in one of The conversations that um, or, or one of the talks and you said something about at a baby shower, everybody's focused on this wonderful arrival of this baby and you know, everything's smiles and pink or blue. And, but nobody talks to this woman about what she's going to experience mm. when that baby really does arrive. And it's a full time responsibility the other thing is, do we go into the schools and the communities and talk to these young men and women about the responsibility of parenthood? Mm-hmm. Once a baby is born, there's no giving it to somebody. It's your responsibility full time and, and it's forever. exhausting. <laughs> It can be rather exhausting. And then there's the guilt that starts because Mm -hmm. you feel this day that you just cannot handle um, the continuous crying or the the continuous uh, nappies of poop that you've got to change. There's the guilt of the feeling. But teaching these young men and women about that and the men and women about those responsibilities that it doesn't stop, you know, and they grow up then they toddlers and they're going <laughs> through the terrible twos and then they become these teenagers that are like gremlins and then they change at some stage and they don't know what they went through and you don't know <laughs> what they've gone through, but then it changes at some stage. But parents are just not alerted to that mm-hmm. and so... Men and women kind of sit in separate corners and there's just, you know, and it ends up in either a changes someday or it ends up in a separation because we cannot handle our emotions and the other cannot handle the emotions. And it's all sorts of things that it, it just becomes this messy chaos. Mm. And how do we start these conversations? So that we hear each other, and we we also help the either men or women understand that it's okay to feel what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this Dr. Carbaugh that speaks about when children throw a tantrum, it's not the child that needs time out; it's the parent. Yeah, <laughs> but we don't know that, so we put children in naughty corners yeah. and in time out. Yet all you need to do is take time out for yourself. And that was an awakening for me because I didn't know any of that. I've brought, I have raised my four children in, in such chaos <laughs> that, yeah, I just, I just really feel for men and women mm. out there and what do we do?
1: And the new thing now is no longer time out, but time in, as you know. So you know now you've got to bring the children close and nurture them. But yes. there's a level at which you know you don't want to throw them out the window. You know, so there's there's all of that permission. I think my final thought is really about the the idea that gender is this either or thing, and that we have to run this program for this child and that program. You know, I think if we start if we start early enough, and I mean it, it starts with simple things like why can't boys play with dolls Mm. I mean just a simple thing like that or co-play with girls because Mm. if you play like a girl it's seen as something that is like negative you know and if you're a girl and play like a boy you've seen as too rough there's all these kind of divides that then create the inability to communicate and my final thought to men in particular is to say to them the next man that tells me he's helping his wife with the baby, or help, <laughs> <laughs> I might my my more sort of toxic masculinity might emerge. But the point the point I'm making is that it's not about helping. Hmm. It's about relishing being a parent. Mm-hmm. And there is no greater protective feature for children against anything, whether it's them being exposed to violence later or being perpetrated of violence. There is no greater protective feature than a parent. Absolutely. And to the parents out there, the woman as well, sometimes it's hard to, in inverted commas, give up part of your role because the man is, in inverted commas, taking over. There's a a level at which parenting is a joint thing, even if you're not together. Mm -hmm. Mm. Absolutely. So so I would just like to thank you very much and uh, to Kulisa for the fantastic work and this constant sort of... um, fighting for restorative justice to be put on the agenda. And I encourage people to um, participate in that, uh, that webinar you have in because I think the restorative justice process for our young men who find themselves in conflict is the way we are going to change lots of mm. these things into the future. Let us not be in the 16 days of activism. Let us not raise another generation of children that have to use the hashtag mm. MeToo too. Let us be the adults who start the hashtag this ends with me. Mm. Yes. Absolutely. So thank you, Charlene. You're
0: Charlene, welcome. thank you so much. Thank you for, for sharing your insights and, and all of the experiences that you've had. And as Luke said, let's keep up the conversation because the only way we are going to change, change starts with me. So we all have to change it in our own homes and within our own circles. So thank you so very much.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Karen.